You know, it's a great question. Who is Jesus? More importantly, the better question is, who is Jesus to you? My thing just tore up. Hang on just a second. A non-mechanical me is going to try to fix this. And I didn't. So we're just going to go to plan B. Nice round of applause for Pastor Joe coming to my rescue. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Is that low enough? Yeah. You're fired. All right. The most important question is not just who is Jesus, but who is Jesus to you? Is he your rewarder? Is he your redeemer? Your healer? Your sustainer? Your friend? Your encourager? Matter of fact, all eternity really hinges on how you answer that question, who is Jesus? And what have you done with Jesus? In fact, when you stand in front of God in judgment, he's not going to ask you how good you've been and if your good outweighs your bad. He's not going to ask you, you know, what philanthropic activities you were involved in, how many times you came to church, how many times you prayed, how many times you gave. He's going to ask you one simple question. What did you do? With my son, Jesus. And if you're going to answer that question correctly, you've got to understand who he is. John tried to help us out in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And that life the light of men. If you were a first century Jew, you understood, you understood the Greek, you understood the Old Testament ramifications. John was saying right up front, verse 1, chapter 1, Jesus is God. Now I'll be honest, we're in a, we're in a series about the, the Holy Trinity and it's a little tough, isn't it? How God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three co-equal, co-eternal, co-divine personalities and and one eternal essence. And and I get that it's a little tough. We use the illustration like the three-in-one oil, the cleaner, the lubricant, and the the rust kind of thing. Whatever that is, yeah. You can tell I'm not good. I can't even fix my own stand, man, up here, you know. I can't even begin to describe you what three want, but the three separate things, they go into one. You, you don't buy three different products. You don't get three different deals. It's all one. It's that three in one. And so John is telling us that there is God the Father, but with him in the beginning was the word. You ever notice you can't have a word without a breath? Word. And so what he's basically saying is that this logos, this word, was the very breath or is the very breath and being of God. See, God knew that we would have trouble putting our minds around this spirit of God. I mean, how do you get your mind around something that has no beginning, has no end, always was? He's immutable. He's uh, omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He has... All grace, all love, all holiness, all virtue. How do you get your arms around that? And because the concept is so great and so broad, God said that God the Son will come 
to earth. Be born in Bethlehem's manger where shepherds come and, and, and watch him and look at him. And wise men bring their gifts from afar and present gold, uh, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Don't you feel like singing, O little town of Bethlehem, right now? It's cold enough to, anyway. And so here you have God, the Father, coexisting with God, the Son... But yet when the fullness of time had come, the Bible says, God the Son became incarnate, became flesh. The word flesh means that he, he took on body. It means that God had a human qualifications, qualities. He had fingers and nose and hair and and, and ten toes and two legs and two arms. And, and he was hungry and he could feel and he could get tired. Is that God entered humanity. He is the word. Now I'm telling you, if you're a first century Jew, that blows your mind out of the water. That God dwells with us. Matter of fact, it's so cool that when Jesus came to earth, he took up himself the form of a man, and that was the only way that he could be seen in our physical eye. God became indwelt or intented in a human body so we could see that God is all loving, that God is all holy, that God is all kind, that God is all gracious, that God is justice, and that God is pure in everything that he does. And so Jesus, the Son of God, becomes the Son of Man. So we, the sons of man, might one day realize that he is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Give him our heart and life and become children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's part of that great doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. God was manifest in flesh. John declares that the Father and the Logos and the Word was all one and the same. Jesus Christ and are one and the same nature. And one is no less God than the other, irrespective of the fact that God took upon himself a limited form so that he could be made visible to us. Because in some veins of classical theology, they have this picture of God. That God is very distant, God is very removed, God is very uncaring, and God has no concern about you or his creation. But God wanted to squash that myth, and so he gave his son, because he loved the world, to get close to us, to walk with us, to... <laughs> To, to walk into a, a wedding where the wine had run out and perform his first miracle, not to, to, to signify that the Messiah and the new covenant, this new age and this new age had come. And then he walked with Nicodemus, a very, very upright and very intelligent man. And then he was with the extreme opposite in John 4, the woman at the well who had probably prostituted her town, herself all over town. In John 5, you find him going by the pool of Bethesda and, and blessing a man who people had walked by for 30-some years. John 6, he feeds the 5,000. I'm just simply telling you that God is not a God who is unconcerned and unknowable to you. 
God is a God who comes into this world, wants you to know what God is like through his son, Jesus Christ, and wants you to have a relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. I say it over and over around here. You can probably say it with me. Jesus Christ is not one of the best ways to get to heaven. He is the only way to get to heaven. You say, well, pastor, that sounds a little uh, haughty and a little exclusive, doesn't it? I mean, just after all, who do you think you are? You can't even fix your own stand to preach behind. Let alone tell us that there's only one way to heaven. If you follow the story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the, 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 God, the Son of God becoming the Son of Man, I think that you'll find it. Because if we end up rejecting the idea that God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, he remains remote and unknowable, and we cannot know him in a personal and intimate way. But if, on the other hand, if, on the other hand, we abandon the humanity of Jesus Christ and we deny the incarnation, then we make Jesus divine but not human. And he would even be further removed from our sphere of knowledge. Far from our trials, our loneliness, our depression, our, our physical ailments, our rejection, our abuse. He would be so far removed from all of that. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus was able to live a holy life because he was God. We believe that as the son of God, he could not sin. He did not sin and he could not sin but that he was subject to all the temptations that you and I are. Now, I get it. He had a little unfair advantage in that thing because, after all, he is God. But I want you to know, when you face sin, he understands it. He faced it, too. When you face loneliness, I want you to understand it. He faced it, too. At the end of John chapter 6, there was a crowd, probably at least 20,000, 25,000. They only counted the men at that time, but if you add the women and the children and everybody else, it's probably 20,000, 25,000 men. And at the end of that day, after feeding 20 to 25, you know, just they only counted the men, but if you count the women and the kids, everybody, at the end of the day, there was only 12. And he looked at them and said, will you also leave me? You want to talk about loneliness? On the or in the Holy Trinity, before he came to earth in Bethlehem's manger, it was always God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in blessed communion, blessed, blessed relationship, and blessed love. And then on the cross, we find where the Father turns his back on the Son because your sins and mine were placed on him on the cross. And there on the cross, for the first time in eternity, he was absolutely alone. Did all of that so that he could die on a cross for your sins and my sins. You say, Well, I did, I ain't sinned. I'm not a sinner. Look around the room. Go ahead, swivel your head, swivel your head, swivel your head, look around the room. You know what I see? I see a room full of sinners. I see a room full of imperfect people. I see a room of, of people who were helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ, to have any hope in this world. And that's why he came. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No difference. God in flesh, so we could see what Jesus, or see what God is like through Jesus Christ. He got tired, he got thirsty, he got hungry. 
he had normal limitations. He, he cried at the tomb of Lazarus. He enjoyed eating so much that they accused him of being a glutton. He had an unfair advantage. He never gained weight probably. He experienced anger. He was bound by space and time. He, for, for the first time in eternity, he could only be at one place at one time. And then he lived at a particular time in a particular place with particular customs and history. He rode a donkey. He washed men's feet. Can you think of anything more degrading? And here's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords showing us what God is like. That he loves us enough that he washes our feet. It's this incredible teaching of, of Christ's coming, and we got to understand it. Another question might be not only what does John say about him, what does Jesus say about himself? Turn over a couple of chapters at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. What did others say about, about Jesus? The Jews understood what he was saying about himself. Look at verse 18. It says, for this reason, the Jews tried harder to kill him, not only because he was breaking the law on the Sabbath, but because, but he was even calling God his father and making himself equal with God. The first century Jews got it. They understood. The language was clearly communicated. That God the father, God the son, co-equal, co-eternal, co-divine personalities in one divine essence. They got it. Matter of fact, they got it to the point where they wanted to kill him on the cross. Matter of fact, if you keep reading, you find out what he said about himself. Look at verse 24 and 26, because some people say, well, Jesus really never kind of claimed to be God. And, and we'll kind of walk through that here. He said, he, verse 24, he says, I tell you, these are the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words and believes on him who sent me has eternal life. The Jews understood that only God could give life. God was the creator of life. He was the sustainer of life. He is the one who could take life and bless with life. And now Jesus is saying, I am the one who sent me. I have authority over life and eternal life. They understood what he was saying. He's saying, I am the son of God and the savior of the world. You say, well, dude, why didn't they follow him? The same reason you don't. I know what some of you are saying. You say, man, if I saw him feed 5,000, 20,000 people, if I saw him raise a, you know, a, a, a man who had been crippled for 30-some years, if, if I saw the miracles, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe any more than the folks did in the first century. Because you struggle with the same things, doubt, your own personal pride, your own personal agenda. What you want out of life, selfishness, self-centeredness, you know, your, your own personal sins that you don't want to let go of, that you want to hang on to, that keep you separated from a holy God. We, we, we got the same things going on. And Jesus said, listen, the one who sent me has given me authority over eternal life. Look at verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son have life in and of himself. Look at verses 27, 28, and 29. We'll just read a couple of those. He has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. 
Not only does he have the power of life, but he has the power to judge the life you live. Listen to me. Not only does he have the power of life, but he has the power and the authority to judge the life you live. That's why when you stand in front of God in heaven, the one question, and one question only, is not going to be what church you went to. It's not going to be, you know, what all you did in life, as if the good stuff outweighed the bad stuff. None of that. He's going to say, what did you do with my son Jesus? Because it's Jesus and Jesus alone who died on the cross for your sins and my sins to take away the sins of the world. Matter of fact, he gave the world one test. You want to talk about the power and authority over life? He gave the world one test to judge his, his truthfulness by. He said, you destroy this body. He said, I'll lay it down. Nobody's going to take it away from me. I will willingly lay it down. And he was talking about suffering and dying for the sins of mankind, for your sins and my sins. He said, I will willingly lay it down, but in three days I will raise it up again. Put all the guards you want outside. Put the stone there. Put the king's signet and the king's ring and the wax. Seal it up tight, boys. Do whatever you can. But on the third day, I'm coming out. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, that's just kind of some, uh, because we got a room full of skeptics. That's just kind of some fairy tale. That's just kind of some, some contrivance of a story to make it fit. Let's just be honest. Caesar... In Rome, which was the world empire at that time, he was a ruthless leader. The people he put in place were ruthless, and if they wanted to stay in place, had to be ruthless. And you did not want trouble in your province to make it back to Rome. So a pilot and Herod wanted to kill this whole Christianity thing. All they had to do was roll the stone away, get his body, line everybody up and say, come on through, take a look, there it is. Or he could have taken the body and put it on a cart, had it led around through town on a donkey, or being pulled by a donkey, made a couple of laps up and down the Via Della Rosa, out around Herod's temple, and then back to the Garden of Gethsemane and throw it back in the tomb, and that would have killed the whole Christian movement. But the king couldn't roll back the stone because heaven's king had already rolled away the stone. And they didn't roll it away to let Jesus out. It was to let us see that Jesus is who he says he is. He said, you take my life, go ahead, take your best shot. I'm dying for the sins of the world, for every man, woman, boy, or girl who's ever lived, for all the wrong and sinful, vile, wicked things they've ever done. So Satan, take your best shot at me. But I'm telling you, in three days, I'm going to prove that I am who I say I am, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I will, and he has risen again, just as he said. Amen. you got to understand, none of that would have been possible if Jesus didn't come in the flesh. The reason I'm a believer today is because Jesus came in the flesh. And as a seven-year-old little boy, I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. I confessed my sins. You said, well, wait a minute, you're seven years old. You weren't some vile sinner. No, I thank God for it. 
I've been drunk. I haven't smoked. I tried smoking cigarettes one time. I couldn't get the thing to light and threw it in the pond. Lighter in the whole thing. Thought I was really cool. My, my, this is my Aunt Betty's pond. And, and my dad, Mr. Reed, came by the pond. And there go the cigarettes floating down to the other end of the pond. I'm just simply telling you that it took just as much of the grace of God to save any seven-year-old little boy, even me, as it does the wicked, vilest, drunkard, sinner, pedophile, you name the sin, the worst and the wicked sinner. It takes just as much of the grace of God to save the 77-year-old as it does to take the seven-year-old. And it all happens because God came in flesh to die for your sins and my sins. Now, let's just be honest. Christianity is the only world religion that makes this claim. We're the only ones that assert this truth. Now, I know that, that if you are in college, somebody's going to make you take a world comparative religion course. And because you were raised in Sunday school all your life, you're going to think that's an easy A. And somewhere that professor will probably tell you something like this because he comes from a universalist point of view. He's going to say something to this effect that, hey, we're all God's children. We're all going to heaven. We're all just getting there different sorts of ways. And you just decide how best you can get there. All right, I got a deal for you. When you have the power over life, and then you have the permission from God to judge that life, and then when you have the ability to resurrect yourself from the dead, then you can call the shot. But until that day, you better listen to the man who is calling the shot. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven. No one has a right relationship with God the Father except through me. Well, what do the world religions say? It's great. It may surprise many to learn that no reliable historical data exists anywhere that any of the founders of the world's major religions, apart from Jesus Christ, ever claimed to be God. Matter of fact, no early writings claim on behalf of these persons to make such claims. For example, the Chinese teachers Confucius and, and Leo Tus, and I try to say that quick and I sound more Spanish than Chinese when I do it, but, but that's all right. They, they exerted moral, social, and cultural influences on their students, but they're not theologians. Many of their wise sayings, by the way, are reminiscent of the book of Proverbs, the wisdom literature in our Bible. Strangely, Buddha may have been an atheist who did not believe in any kind of divinity at all. The Muslim holy book, the Quran, definitely does not elevate Muhammad to the place of Allah, their God. While we're told that Muhammad is Allah's chief prophet, there's no attempt to make Allah equal to on the level of deity. To the contrary, the, or the, the Quran says that Allah has no equal. Perhaps you could look to the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't have anybody who makes the claim. There were people who wanted to elevate Elijah and, and Isaiah and David and Abraham to those statuses, but, but it, was never, it was never verified. I mean, it was never, it was never accepted. It was always those fringe groups. Perhaps the closest one that would make such a claim would be the Hindu figure Krishna. It's amazing we don't, we're not even sure if he existed lived or even in what century he lived and while he referred 
while he is referred to in holy and lofty terms of deity in the Hindu sacred writings, scholars are just not even sure about this guy. Thus tracking, if you're following along, any possibility to claims of fullness and divine light and nirvana. Please understand what I'm saying. The world and people will try to say, hey, there are all of these ways to get to heaven. God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ to show us that there is only one way to get to heaven. The other world religions are going to say, hey, if you get better and better and better and better and better and better and better, you keep working hard at it, keep working hard at it, you'll just kind of raise and you'll just kind of come better in the next life and you'll raise and elevate until finally you have divine enlightenment and you will be deity. God laid it out there in the Holy Scriptures that said there is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you are left to yourself, you have no hope. You will die in your sin. You will be doomed for an eternity in hell. But thank God the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus not only lived among us, but he died on the cross for your sins so we could spend eternity in heaven. As his child and at his kingdom. Jesus claimed dual identities and, or dual titles of divinity. Particularly, he said he was both the Son of God and the Son of Man. One of the clearest indications that he is, who he says he is, is he was before the high priest. And the high priest was getting ready. I mean, tensions were by, uh, escalating and the conflict was really rising and people were really coming after Jesus from all sides. And so he's in front of the high priest. And the high priest basically asked him, are you the son of God? And he says in Mark 14, I am who you say I am. He didn't back down. He didn't kind of convolute it, man. He just threw it out there. I am who you say I am. And then the Bible says that the high priest tore his clothes. I mean, he just—he was just so ripped up over this matter, so grieving, and they just started screaming, blasphemy, blasphemy. It's amazing that three days or more before the cross, they were saying blasphemy, but three days after the cross, they were running and hiding because the king had risen. It's amazing to me that we, we don't understand this doctrine of the incarnation of Christ any better than what we do. We kind of relegate it to, to Christmas and, and that time of the year. Many religious teachers who've claimed to present God have, have, have talked about their way and their path. But Jesus declared not only that he was initiating God's path of salvation, but he also wanted that his hearers, it was also important what his hearers and his followers specifically did with Jesus. In our skit, it was what the depressed person and the lonely person and the abused person, the sick person, what you did with Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? He loves you. That's why he came to this earth. To love you. 
to love you, to show it to you over and over and over and over again. For more than 40 years, for more than 40 years, a guy wrote a love letter once a week, went to his neighbor's house, slipped it under the door. Evidently, he and she had had a disagreement. And for 40 years, he tried to make it up to her, writing one love letter a week, walking, oh, he was a Welchman, he was consistent, he was a stubborn man, walked over to her house, slipped it under the door. That is 2,184 love letters. How many times, how many ways can you say I love you? 2,184. And so the day that he wrote his last love letter, he didn't slide it over under the door. This 74-year-old man, 2,184 love letters later, knocked on the door, told the 74-year-old woman on the other side of the door that he was so sorry and that he would love her forever if she would forgive him. And she said, yes. And she did, and he did, and they said, I do. I want you to know Jesus is slipping another love letter under the heart, under the door to your soul and into your heart. He's saying, I love you. Don't turn me away. I went to the cross for you. Don't push me away. I'm not an unknowable God. I'm a knowable God. Know me. Live with me. Let's do life together. He slips that love letter under, your, uh, under the, the door of your heart and says, give your heart to me. I would just simply say, why don't you open the door? Tell Jesus you're sorry for all the things you've done that made him go to the cross and die for your sins for. Commit your life to him and live for him from this day forward. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been on the fence as what to do with Jesus Christ. And you've just kind of waffled back and forth because you really didn't know what to believe. See, the question of eternity is what are you going to do with Jesus? You can either A, believe in him, or B, not believe in him. There's no C, D, E, or F, or all of the above. It's either believe or not believe. And today, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity that we'll talk about next week, is, is handing you God's love letter. And he's saying, give me your heart. But if you're here today and you're lost in your sin, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then why not right where you sit right now, why don't you just pray this simple prayer in your heart? It's a prayer where you just thank God for his love. Tell him you're sorry for your sins. And that you want to live the rest of your life in a relationship with him. So the prayer, if you don't know how to pray, and prayer is just a personal conversation with a personal God, may go like this, dear Jesus, 
I'm a sinner. I have put you off long enough. Today, I invite you into my heart. From this day forward, I want to live for you. I give you my heart and I give you my life that you created. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, nobody's looking around, I promise you. We're not going to embarrass you, but I wonder right now, would you trust me enough? Would, would you just, if you prayed that prayer right now, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, right now, this moment in this service, I, gave, I prayed the prayer, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I'm taking that first little step of faith that I'm just wanting you to know. God bless you. Man, thank you so much. That is exciting to me. Somebody else, you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, I just gave my heart. I prayed that prayer, just gave Jesus Christ my heart. Hey, maybe you're a believer here and your relationship with Jesus Christ isn't where it once was. Other things have replaced him. And it's easy to do. And maybe Jesus today, Christian, is saying, what are you doing with me? What are you doing with me? What are we doing together? And maybe as a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you just need to refer, affirm and reaffirm your faith, your commitment, your love to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That great I am who came in form of a babe in Bethlehem's manger to go to your cross and my cross to die for your sins and my sins, who was buried in another man's tomb, but rose again to ascend back to his throne. a believer here this morning. If you raise your hand and say, Pastor, man, I'm, I'm really not doing with Jesus what I need to be doing with Jesus, and I'm praying about it right now. Would you pray for me? I wonder if there's a believer you'd raise your hand. Man, thank you. Many of you raising your hand. Many. Would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Father, we give you praise for those this morning that accepted you as their Lord and Savior. That's why you came. That's why we sing. That's why we preach. That's why we do what we do. So, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for speaking to believers' hearts who need to re-examine the question, what am I doing with Jesus? What are we doing together? Are we really living life together? Father, my prayer is that you bless. The Lord just refire, rekindle, reinvigorate that relationship with them. Lord, may we know the Holy Spirit's power in our living, in our life, in our relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that you humbled yourself, Philippians 2, 5 and following, that you humbled yourself, took on the form of a man, became a form of a servant, became obedient even unto the death on the cross, proving that you are who you say you are when you rose again, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And we praise your name. And the church says, amen. Amen. Hey, our ushers are going to come forward and we're going to receive our Sunday morning tithes and offerings. If you made a decision for Jesus Christ this morning, would you do a couple of things? Would you take the friendship card and fill that out? 
and one of the pastors would just shoot you an email, maybe give you a call if you'd like to have a call. We'd like to just kind of touch base with you this week, pray with you, kind of help you get going. And so if you will stop by the VIP center on the way out to your left, I got gifts and Pastor Joe and, and his wife Julie and, and Todd and Becky DePolis, they'll be there. And, and uh, Michael and Allie usually kind of hang around here. I hang up over here sometimes and a lot of times after the service find one of us we'd love to talk with you and uh, share with you so that's awesome hey right after the service today growth tracks by the way let me let me just say the blessing on the offering fill that communication card out bless this offering jesus name amen go ahead guys by the way if you're a guest with us today this again this part of the service isn't for you it's for those of us who consider this our church and we support it with tithes, his tithes and our offerings. A couple of things. After this service, 10 minutes after this service, Pastor Joe is going to meet you in the gym. We have dinner, child care provided, 301 class today, Finding Your Spiritual Shape. It is an awesome class. If you've not been through our grow tracks, start today. It clips through on a four-week cycle. That's today, March the 2nd. Will be a uh, blood drive here at the church. Glenda Blackburn is will sign you up on the kiosk right around the corner. And and if don't forget, we'll have our provision closet like March the tenth, and uh, bring linens and coffee pots and microwaves and all that kind of great stuff. Hey, if you'll turn the house lights up for just a just a minute, I wanna I wanna do two things in in closing. Uh, a good buddy of mine, Jeff Isaacs, and I don't see, where is, there he is. Jeff and Sharissa, right back here, wave your hands, guys. These are our home missionaries to Battle Creek, and we've supported them for years, and we love them. Would you make them welcome at the church this morning? We appreciate that. So good. Jim Coach, would you come right here just a second? Jim, Jim, would you stand right here? And then we'll, we'll get ready to sing right here in just a second. Most of you guys, if you know Jim, Jim is, he's the youngest looking, what, 75-year-old? We know. He serves on our serving team. And these are the folks who, who come around and set up and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And so I told him I was going to Texas. And I don't know if you remember this, but Jim is a wannabe cowboy. So I went to Texas, and I got him, I got him the biggest belt buckle I could find in Texas. And there's a belt and another belt buckle there. Thank you, buddy. Jim is faithful. He has been here longer than I have been here to Kirby Church. Hey, and Loretta, and we love him to death. Thank you, Jim. Love you, buddy. And uh, let's uh, worship the Lord together. Jared's going to play a song. We're going to sing together. Worship him, church. Our Savior, our King, our God. Uh, son of God came to flesh, became son of man so we the sons of man might become the sons of God. He rose triumphantly over death, hell and the grave. We celebrate that, we praise that, we embrace that. Let's worship that this morning. Alright, let's sing this together. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, and who could ever stop us? And come on, can we sing that one more time together? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us?
to stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand again? And if our God is for us Then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us Then what could stand again? You guys are dismissed We'll see you next week